Welcome to episode 88 of Iron Man Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Righty guys, welcome along to episode 88 of Iron Man Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How are you going, mate? I'm sensational. Sensational. I'm a bit crusty today. A bit crusty. Not too I'm... tired this time. You're not going to pull out well, the tired card. I am a little bit tired, but I'll be partying, so I've lost my voice from the wedding because we're singing so much to the music. But anyway, Iron Man Talk is proudly brought to you by... Coffeesofwhy.com For all your coffee and Christmas treats. Trybuys.com For all your triathlon and Christmas treats. At Athlinks.com To tell all your friends what to get you at Coffees of Hawaii And, and try say buys. happy Christmas And say happy Christmas Or Merry Christmas Merry even. Christmas Because it's Happy New Year isn't it? It is Yeah Or you could say Merry New Year You could There you go It's a pretty exciting show this week Why is that John? Because we've got the 2007 runner up at Ironman Hawaii The 2006 70.3 world champion Craig Alexander on the show So Doing the interview shortly, it's going to be good times. Oh, it's very exciting times. We're going to have quick news before that. We've got our hot topic of the week. We're going to do one age group, well, actually a few age groupers a week this week. And uh, new, No, it's a new new topic of the show, a new segment. Oh, we're we going to give a new name, are we? Family of the Week. <laughs> family of the Week. It's a pretty sensational family at that. Uh, Coach's Corner is going to be the Craig Alexander interview, and it's pretty much going to be the show. I imagine it's going to be a long show. We haven't recorded the interview yet, but... You've got a million questions for We've got to go into detail here. It's not going to be an ordinary interview. Uh, hopefully he's not a talker. Is he a talker? <laughs> he is a bit. Yeah. It's okay. okay it's it's a, a two-hour show, guys. Um, anyway, so first of all, uh, Iron Man Western Australia. Wow, man. When you look at these results, uh, the, the top 15, we'll pull out the results in a second, yeah, you keep but talking. a lot of fast racing there. Last year they went, I think Jason Shortest went about 8.03 or 8.04, something like that. Uh, the there was we, we were wondering why there were, was quite a strong pro field and they did have an extra fifty thousand dollars bonus on the line for anybody who could set a new world record. I don't realistically think that was ever going to happen. World record at the moment is seven hours and fifty minutes by Luke Van Laird and, yes. and wrote. Yeah. So I think on this course in Western Australia it is possible, but you need you know you need someone like Macca or Crowey or, or somebody like that, and you would need a few other guys just smacking it down on the bike. What do they offer? I think they offer a hundred thousand in rope, don't they? I'm not quite sure, but I think I think it was a hundred thousand just by memory. Yeah. So I think that's what it's going to take, and that's what it, what happened when Luke Van Laird did did make that time. He had some guys absolutely nailing it on the bike. And mm. I'm not saying he sat in or anything, but yeah, you've got to have all well, three, yeah, all three yeah, disciplines. Hellregal and someone else. It was probably it? Jürgen Zach as yeah, well. Yeah, maybe it was. So, uh, yeah. Fast racing, though, and they were on target to go under eight hours for quite some time, but um, slowed up a little bit on the run, so they just missed out on that. But, yeah, sensational win. Patrick Vernet, uh, he's had a great season. Real journeyman. He's been around for a long, long time. Um, he's only 34, so he's got a couple more years left in him, hasn't he? But I used to race him a little bit over in France, and... I wouldn't say he's an amazingly outstanding athlete, but he's another one of these guys that's got a good amount of talent and has just worked his nuts off for a few years. And his uh, nuts off, yeah, that's sensational. And he's a really solid day. Forty-eight minute swim, four twenty-eight on the bike, and then uh, took it on the run with a really good consistent race across all the areas. Eh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so at eight oh six, great time. Reynard Tissink, uh, second place, pretty close here at eight oh nine, and Mitchell Anderson in third and eight twelve. 
um, really close racing all the way down to 10th place. You know, there's only 20 minutes covering the top 10, and there's not many races around the world where that And it's happen. a strong top 10, isn't it? You know, oh, you've got Chris yeah. McDonald, Luke Dragster, the glove man, or, or the big man, isn't it? Big man. Big man only managed the 10th. Now, he normally gets into top 5 in a race, doesn't he? Yeah, and you look down to 20th place, 8 hours, 50 minutes. Yeah. Um, other than Roach, I don't think there'll be many other races. That so do you know point. what happened to Jason Shortis? Jason Shortest got a drafting penalty, at, le- oh, at least one okay. on the bike. I think he may have got two. He's always a bit off the pace in the swim. Yeah. Um, but to his credit, he sort of carried on. I'm not sure whether they tacked on his credit. Yep. Um, also, it was interesting to see uh, Pete Jacobs absolutely smoking the swim. He did a 44-minute swim. Wow, um, the rest of his day wasn't so quite Where is he? Okay, it was him. Yeah, he's right down the bottom. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, but, but great racing there. You know, quality field. and, and let's hope 44 we- minutes. He's an amazing swimmer, isn't he? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Nice guy, too. Real good guy. Let's hope we see more of this sort of close racing and, and really good stacked Just fields. Just good fields, eh, yeah. And it's, it's great on Western Australia, I mean. Western Australia to actually take the initiative and put these kind of incentives out there for the athletes and it obviously works mm. and which is interesting as well because let's be realistic most of those guys probably didn't think they could get there no but they still go for it yeah end of season race for these guys and mm. they'll, they'll have a good sort of Christmas break now and uh, you know they'll all be going in there trying to make a bit of bonus money and, and that's what these guys are going to do they've got to make money they've got to try to make well, a living it's your job mate it's your job mm. on the female side of things Charlotte Paul took it out Equally fast, man. It's a new course record, 9 hours and 55 seconds. Yep. Just missed out on breaking the 9-hour the barrier. She was second last year uh, with, I think, about a I think about 9.15, so big improvement. I'm not quite sure why there was such a big improvement this year, but the yep. guys were pretty similar times. But outstanding race, 54 swim, 5.01 on the bike, 3.05 on the run. Again, same as Patrick Vianney. Yeah, consistent nice all-round race. race. Yeah, yeah. She had old Gina, a girl from last yeah. week, breathing down her neck. Uh, pretty close. Well, eight minutes in it, but uh, it's really the bike that we're, you know, kind of. I read Gina's website this morning, and she had a few difficulties on the bike. She's tried to go a little bit more aero, and she said she had a bit of a dead arm for the last um, fifty really? or sixty k's of the wow. bike, and she was riding with one arm down by her side for about the last hour and a half. Still, wow. great performance by her at nine oh eight. Definitely a face of the future, eh? Yeah, yeah. And she said exactly one hour quicker than her first Ironman uh, at the start of this year. So, faster course, but still a good day. Yeah, and uh, Bella. Yeah, pretty steady race by Bella, 9.14 to take third place. So the top three girls here, you know, uh, I think it's Charlotte Paul's first Ironman win. Gina Ferguson's had an Ironman win this year. Bella Comerford's a multiple Ironman yeah. winner. So, um, yeah, good good racing there. One interesting story I heard about was Joe King, who finished in 13th place. Yep. She was a uh, world champion in 1999, I think Short it was. Course. Short course. Okay. Um, making a bit of a comeback, but she, apparently the swim course wasn't super clear and wasn't marked out that well. Uh, and she came in, and, and a lot of people apparently did this. They missed a certain boy just on the, the little inward part, and it didn't really make much difference. So should you be disqualified in that situation? Well, she got sent back. Like, nobody else was getting sent back, and the official sent her back and made uh, her go back around the boy and back in. Apparently the crowd were booing and giving all the officials lots of craps. Really? So interesting to hear a bit more about that. I've got an interesting story similar to that for the end of the show, but okay. I'll leave that to later. One other thing we did hear about the race uh, was that there was quite a bit of drafting um, it's a flat course and I think that's always a danger that with this race it might end up turning a bit like Florida yeah. where there's massive drafting problems mm. and uh, let's hope not let's hope not because we don't like drafting an Ironman talk because it's an Ironman show exactly not an ITU talk exactly is there an ITU podcast sure yeah they do I think okay. yeah okay coming up this weekend we've got the Chapo half hey what What's, what's oh, back it up, Ultraman. Yeah. Is this Ult- on here? Yep. Ultraman was either, I think it was the weekend before last, so we didn't sort of yep. cover it last week. It's a colonist. 
Conus. I mean, what is it? Jonas. <laughs> Jonas Colting. So I couldn't bind his Co- name. Conus Jolting. Yeah, that's it. That's actually a cool name. It I'm going to name my kid that. <laughs> oh, you're back in, back in the loop. Wow, no, you? I'm not going to. No, no, there's no loop and there's no kid. <laughs> <laughs> but if it ever happens. So Jonas won in, he won this year. He won a couple of years ago as well. Um, pretty much dominated the dojo, really. Uh, pretty comfortable. He had about, a, I think, if you scroll down at the it bottom. Was a few hours, uh, yeah, two, was, hours, two hours, I think he won it by. Yeah, yeah, about around about an, oh, no. an hour and ten hour. minutes. Okay. So he really backed off on the final run, really nailed it on the first day, and uh, and took it you know, as comfortable as you can for a double marathon. But he took it out in twenty one hours, fifty nine. Only minutes, about sixteen 44. minutes from the record, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think he's he was very close to the record the first time he, he raced mm. there as well. Mm. Alexander Ribeiro from Brazil was in second, twenty three hours, and Tim Sherpa from the States. 23 hours, 19 in third place. So. Pretty close wrestling on the female side of things. So yeah. uh, Sharon, Shanna. Shanna Armstrong. And uh, Anna. Haslett. Yeah, there's only, what, 30 minutes between them? Mm, nice. Pretty close after that so, distance. I think she won the year before as well, so nice to see she's getting pushed along a bit more. Mm. Um, but, yeah, unique race really goes back to, I don't know, I suppose the roots of, of the sport, back to Kona and uh, doing the old double Ironman. Yeah, pretty sensational stuff. Pretty so tough Ultraman race. And um, we uh, uh, There's not much coming up. Coming up this weekend, Tapo Half. Tapo Half, <laughs> beautiful. It's kind of it's not not the big one anymore, is it? It's bigger. Apparently, they've got about four hundred this year. Okay. And uh, so the week after that, we've got the Rotorua Half, and there's probably a few more halves starting to pop up in Australia. But who, no won, who won the the Ashburton Ash Vegas? David Plue dominated did Ash he really? Vegas. Did he? he probably would have dominated us if we'd raced. Really? Did he uh, kick he, some butt? Did he? He was looking pretty strong. He won by a good ten minutes or oh, so. Oh really? So he came in second. Um, a guy from Dunedin, some random guy, Chris Bisley, I think. Oh, you know him, Chris. Yep. Yeah, yep. Well, was he second or third? Yeah, no, um, Chris, yeah, good guy. Yep. Yeah, he was second, and Andrew Black was third. And the girls, yep, I can't quite remember. If you go to cisport.co.nz, you no, can see the results. Good to see mate. It's great. Uh, hi, Hawaii Kona IMM was on NBC last Saturday. Uh, got some feedback now. I can't remember who gave me the feedback because I'm on our computer, but uh, apparently it's really good. Yeah, and if anybody has taken a copy of that and they want to send us a DVD, that would be great because we won't get it in New Zealand for about uh, two, years. Years, two, two, three yeah. years. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so flick it over and we can. Uh, but apparently, they actually gave some good um, coverage of the pros this time. Nice. Didn't give Crowy much, apparently. All oh, right. Mm, no, no, they didn't. Yeah. Yeah. So Mecca got lots, and then they're showing a few of the other guys in the background. They were probably thinking it was always going to be the Mecca, the Ferris versus, yeah. and they probably had mm. all this pre-recorded stuff with mm. those guys. And yeah, then and it then didn't eventuate. Didn't eventuate. Um, but, but maybe they knew we were going to interview Crow, so I thought, well, it's going to get the word obvious, out. Obvious, yeah. yeah. Who needs who needs NBC when you got Iron Man talk? Exactly. Here, the Fuhrer has been not inducted. Is probably the word I'm looking for into the Iron Man or just triathlete Hall of Fame. Yeah, this is something I think that triathlete Mag do. Um, so they've started it back in 1998, yep. and they inducted a few guys here, Tom Warren, Bill, Bill Sheridan, and David Payne. Okay, let's, let's give it a love. Tom Warren, Bill Sheridan, David Payne, Bill Phillips, who are they? And Jack Johnson. We're going to talk about them in a moment. Okay, oh, so, sorry, uh, you didn't warn me of that. No. Okay, Dave Scott, 99. Yeah. John Collins. He founded um, Hawaii Ironman. Yeah, that's right, John Collins yep. is the guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, John Howard. He was a multiple Hawaii winner. He then went on to become the Prime Minister of Australia. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no longer. Yeah, no longer. He lost it to Rudd. Big time. <laughs> I was there when it happened. He got dominated. Yeah. Um, Sally Edwards. 
she's been a real pioneer for women's the women's side of things in triathlon. Okay, what about Ironman? Valerie Silk? Valerie Silk was the race director of Ironman for a long, long time. The first sort of sort of bringing into the professional era. Nice. Well, then in two thousand they brought in Julie Moss, who was the crawler. The crawler. Yeah, it kind of made the sport what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott Tinley, who we all should know. Uh, Carl Thomas. Don't know Carl Thomas and Jim Curtar. <laughs> okay. Mm. Uh, Melina made it in two thousand and one. Now, they seem to only go to singles. Oh, no. And we've got Mark Allen. 2002. Uh, was that? Sylvian and Patricia Puntos. No, those are the ones who always raced against each other in the early the days, weren't they? Sisters had the, du- the duels. Yeah. Uh, Dan Empfield. He's the guy who does slowtwitch.com okay. and also just a lot of other things on the side. Okay, Mike Pig. Yeah, well, he never won Hawaii, but he was you know, a real dominator over the uh, Olympic distance. Paula Newby Fraser. Who's uh, she? Yeah, who's she? Some, somebody. Uh, Greg Welch, Erin uh, Baker, and Les McDonald. Mm-hmm. So some pretty legendary names there. Yes. Okay, so you want to go back to the start and tell me who those people were? Well, what, one of the stories we're going to have a link to up on the site is going to be uh, some, an triathlon. article up on k226.com about the first triathlon that's ever happened. Uh, yeah. It was in Mission Bay in 1974. Yep, yeah, because we've got the t-shirt from exactly. Out of Try. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you can go on there. If you go to k226.com and the guys that actually founded that first triathlon and sort of ran it as a bit of a series uh, in the 70s, they were the first guys to be inducted. So I think it was... Bill Shanaran and Jack Johnston, I think. Yeah. But go on to the it's it was, it's it's a really good read, isn't it? Mm. And like, hey, hey, didn't know what to call it, so I looked up the dictionary and, and you thought, oh, this is really important. But how it started, they used to do a biathlon, so they'd do a run and a swim. Yeah. And they did that for a few years, and then they decided to throw in a bike ride. And then no, no, because what happened was that the guy who started, I can't remember which one it was, he was doing really good at those races, and it really yeah. suited him, so I thought, I'll do one in my local area. And he approached the running club guy, and the running club guy goes, well, why don't you chuck a bike in as well? And he's like, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> and then they did. But the funny, the distances was, like a was it like a three it was like a two k swim or five I don't know but the bike was only five k the bike was really right. small in comparison yeah <laughs> it was like a six k run a five k bike and maybe a, a two k swim or something wouldn't it be great to do some triathlons where it's sort of a bit more equal for the three disciplines yeah you know, not so dominant on the bike and the run obviously you're not going to have a, a three hour swim or something no but maybe similar time lengths or something yeah, yeah, yeah. so that, that would be interesting could make it a little, a little more fairer <laughs> this hall of fame is definitely dominated by Ironman isn't it it is, but when you look back to those early days, the Ironman guys also dominated the short course stuff. Yep. So I would, you know, I would like to see. Um, like Lessing. I know it's still racing. But. Exactly. I was just going to say Lessing really. I, I guess they wait till people have, have finished. And but, yep. but, but having said that, Heather Thew is still racing. Mm-hmm. Um, but Erin Baker didn't come in until two thousand and six, and she was still. You know, she finished racing in about. Okay, so from when, 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 what about in the day? Well, I suppose in the day those guys were doing short courses as well, weren't they? Yeah, so yeah. I mean, if we were yeah. looking at short course athletes to be inducted, I think you'd probably be looking at uh, Simon Lessing, um, Brad Bevan, yep. um, McKaylee Jones, but she's still racing, Karen Smyers on the girls' side of things, uh, possibly, Carter eventually. possibly Hamish Carter eventually. Um, and there'd be one or two, one or two others, possibly Carol Montgomery, possibly Emma Carney, but their careers were nowhere near as long as these guys, like Tinley and and Alan and Melina. Yeah. They had really long careers. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, you might have somebody like Emma Carney who completely dominated short course racing for about three years. Should he be in it? <laughs> Greg Welsh, yeah, well, he won Hawaii, yeah. and he was a bit of a, a dominator all rounder. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. He's a, he, he he might actually. Be, I was there when he did a speech. He might actually be the only guy that's won over every distance other than Aaron Baker because he's won World Duathlon champs. Yeah, he's won World. I'm pretty sure he short won course. Short Course champs. They used to have a sprint, 
and he's won um, Iron Man. So, no, he was pretty He's a character too, isn't he? He is. Yeah, I was there in a speech. It was sensational. Um, okay, what else have we got here? Yeah. Um, we talked about this last week, but it's now official that uh, Arizona is going to have two races in 2008. Yep. And the rumour on the street is, and this isn't official yet. Where'd you get this from? Oh, I've got my sources. Well, you haven't told me your sources. <laughs> Apparently there's going to be an Ironman Las Vegas. Well, I wouldn't want to do an Ironman in Las Vegas. No. Have you been to Vegas? Oh, it's fantastic. Have you been? Yeah, only for a couple of days. Yeah, but it's, you want. would you want to race here? It's pretty hot. I yeah. went for a run in my cramp and pulled my calf. <laughs> And it wasn't running hard. No. no. It, it sounds like what they might be doing is you know, shifting the Arizona race to later in the year and then replacing the early one with Ari's, with um, with Las Vegas. So yeah. you heard it first. Well, well you didn't really, but you, you know. Well, I think you did. I heard it first through you. Oh, there we go. Where else is it? Well, they haven't done my peas. They haven't done the peas. No. Is it pretty obvious, is it? No, that's just what I've heard. Mm-hmm. Would you have a gamble? Oh, did yeah, you have a gamble yeah. in Vegas? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you win? I won the first night and then I lost it all on the second night. Overall? Overall evens. Oh. But I got free alcohol while I was there because you sit on the tables. And so I, I came out on the up, I think. You know what? Mm. I made 250 bucks. US. Nice. So that's like And its time was probably nearly 500. Was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now it's like... I used it and I went and saw Cirque du Soleil. Oh. The water show. Yeah. That's yeah, impressive, yeah. that is. Mm, nice. <sighs> Those guys are athletes. One other so bit then of, the story. No, one other bit of news. Oh, um, back it up. It was just an interesting thing. I saw the Blue 70. They, this year at the Ironman World Champs, they had 800 competitors wearing... Uh, wow, the .03? Not wearing .03s, but wearing you know swimsuits, uh, sort of mini wetsuit type yep. things. 75% of them were wearing .03s from Blue 70. Wow, that's so that's eight, eight, no, but 800. How many people are they have raised? these guys, <laughs> No, it's just interesting that like, there was uh, 800 well, I'm people. I'm about this. Oh, shut up. <laughs> Carry on, then. They're no, not, no, not it's gonna... obviously good because the, the, the market is saying, isn't it, John? Well, no, the, the number that was more interesting for me is the fact that they had 800 people wearing those suits. I know when I was racing there a few years ago, what, it was just very random, but 800 out of, what, they have 2,000 racing there? It's yeah. basically half the field. So those things are really on the up, but yeah, the blue seventy ones are good. But well, Bevan, obviously, but but um, Guy and Steve don't give Bevan, <laughs> don't give Bevan anything blue seventy because he obviously doesn't appreciate it. No, no, I love you guys at blue seventy. Yeah, I'd marry you <laughs> if you were chicks. Uh, uh, so the link to the story is actually uh, we'll put that on our website www.ironmantalk.com and uh, go on and have a read because it's it's a really good read. Eh? There's some good stuff actually going up on k226.com and they've actually got all the results there from the first ever so event. So Bill Phillips can say he won the. First First ever triathlon ever ever. Wow, fifty six minutes. I'd like that, eh? How many people do they have? Forty six racing. Oh, Barbara needs Barbara can say I was last <laughs> first ever triathlon. It's a beautiful thing. So we had our blog last week, and uh, we kind of did a bit of a mix because it ran over two weeks. And uh, you know, you, from now onwards, you know that when we do the blog, we just choose our three favourite answers. And because we combined two, I'm going to go down a different path than John. But the question was... But, but oh, back it up. But this is brought to you by... Oh, artoftry.com. And what we're going to be having over the next um, next few weeks You're is... You're wearing it, Artoftry. I am. Yeah. Nice hooded uh, sweatshirt here. We're going to have the best contributor to the show. And whether that's somebody putting a post on the, the blog or whether somebody... We haven't decided the best... Oh, we haven't yet. Ooh, no. Okay. Uh, whether you submit a good, really good website, or we're emailing that into us, or whether you post a really good comment. That's good that is, isn't it? And what do they get? They're going to get a long sleeve out of Tri Top. Is that the one I saw today? That's no, very cool. No, not the new ones. Oh, the, the new ones are the, looking the, very cool. The Hawaii 78. Oh, cool as well. Or the Mission those, yep. Bay 74. Mm-hmm. So the best post on the show is going to get that. they will get in contact with you. Mm. Mm. We'll, you will get in contact with you, and then we'll forward you their details. More and work for us. A little, little bit. <laughs> So if anybody else wants to get Art of Try stuff, you go to artoftry.com. Yep. 
and uh, okay, let's fantastic. roll. So the question this week was: Should there be an open pro slots for Kona? Uh, so we can get the best of the best. Oh, you don't want to do that now. Yeah. Okay. You want to pause because you want to run Kona was under. Yep. Okay. Are you sure? Yep. Okay. Here we go. Pause. But we'll be back right now. As soon as we come back, after we're going to talk. To, don't worry. Stop we babbling. <laughs> we're back. Oh, we're back. Yeah. Yep. We're back. Just reading my paper. Just been hanging out with Craig. Oh, I always get tired doing those interviews. Do you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, Why? It's going, I don't know. I just do. I concentrate. Because you don't have to talk. Exactly. <laughs> it's not about you. That's why. <laughs> going to sleep. So back to it, but I've got to know what we've talked about. I think we've already done the, the yeah. intro. So like, or, have we done the intro? I don't think so. Okay, yeah. so the intro is, should there be more open slots for pros in Kona where they don't have to necessarily win an Ironman race or around the world somewhere? But So basically that's it. So we've chosen three of our best. And uh, John, you can go first. First one was uh, Daniel. I actually noticed something here, John. Yes. Oh no, tomorrow go. Okay. I like saying about this idea, it's the idea that gets more interesting pros to race in Kona, so that's great for the fans. But that's about it, in my opinion. Here are the cons. The rules are, need to be the same for everybody, that's why Kona is so great. There are far too many pros out there already, and if you want better pros, raise the prize money. Uh, the money and only the money would draw more attention to Kona, but do we really want that? Isn't Kona big enough? Isn't the race good enough? Do we need more from um, more from the Macca, Sadler, etc. build-up? I like the way Kona is handled now. In my opinion, the bigger prize purse, the greater the risk of doping. That threatens the sport much more than not having enough pros. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm actually going to go with Poon. That's a great name. Poon. Poon. <laughs> that might be my kid's name. Okay. <laughs> so I'm not how many kid. kids are you going to have? I'm going to have 20. Because <laughs> um, uh, he's basically saying no, and he's saying uh, he thinks that being a pro means, oh, it could be a she. Could be. They think yeah. <laughs> that being a pro means a lot more than being the fastest. It's a commitment to training, putting in the effort. Um, as such, individuals who decide to turn up as a pro and decide on this course for a career should be given a race amongst the like-minded people. I find nice. it interesting, that thought. Uh, we had Rollo, I think, yes, but set up some slots for the famous shorter rates, races so they have, have to qualify. For example, the winner of races like Wildfire, Alcatraz, LA Tri, allowed to enter Hawaii. Also, any medal finisher at the Triathlon World Champs or Olympics should be allowed to race, but not every pro. Give the greatest athletes a chance, but not any short-distance pro. The Ironman heroes are not allowed to start the Olympics uh, or the short-distance world champs. Okay, um, I'm actually going down a different path here because we actually, last week we talked about putting some Ironman talk training camp names up there and Glenbow actually came up a few. He's got uh, the They Don't Drink Beer at Epic Camp, so that's why I'm here camp. Uh, <laughs> I like that one. The, my partner thinks I'm on a business course camp. Very good. The Rick, Your Pair of Knees and the Pair of Knees. That's, that's, okay. He should be a songwriter too, double, shouldn't double he? Knees. Yeah, that's, that's sensational. The... the uh, there was this one time at Iron Man Talk Camp Camp. That's very good. I know what movie that's from. Do you? American, what? American Pie. Check it up. Look at that. Nah, that's, you've just gone up in my books. Uh, my personal favourite, uh, after all, he suggested the Kiakaha in the show is Camp Kiakaha. Had several suggestions for yeah, that one. Yeah, that's good. Good, and I think that might be what we settled on, possibly. Okay. Know. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> uh, last post I had was from Daniel from Germany. Uh, he listened to the Simon Simon Lesson. Do you realise you, you did Daniel twice? Oh, well, he's, he didn't put Daniel Germany twice. Okay. Maybe it is a different Daniel then because he... Okay, go. Maybe. That anyway. was my point before. Uh, he's just listened to Simon Lessing interview again and... I love that. Listen to this right twice. <laughs> yeah. That's sensational. He thinks uh, 150 pros starting in Kona is not, necessi- not necessary uh, and it's not always the best 100 and finish- 150 pros because you can get somebody qualifying in somebody yep. like Malaysia so it's nowhere near as strong. 
Many pros don't primarily do Ironman, um, would necessarily like to do Kona, but they want to devote, do they want to devote their whole year to it? Uh, I don't think it would be fair to give short distance pros a wild card. If there was a ranking system that aims to get the best 100 or so uh, pros in Kona, that would be great. All pros uh, that want to go into the selection process and you can get in by points by doing certain races, um, for etc, etc. Yeah. Carry on. It <laughs> was stimulating stuff, man. Bainsy, <laughs> uh, now again back to me. Damn it, you beat me to it. And he did actually, Glenbo, Bainsy couldn't get on the forum, so right. he emailed me with it, but Glenn beat him to the forum. I couldn't get on here yesterday, and for some reason I sent a mail to the boys with my suggestions for the camp, which was Camp Kiakaha. Um, just makes sense, really, doesn't it? Unless you can get on the camp sponsored by. Coffee of Hawaii or Ems Power Cookies, in which case it could be Ems Power Cookies Camp Kiakaha or similar. Mm. So, your what, thoughts? Do you, what do you think for for qualifying for Kona? Whether they should have more pros? Yeah, I should... think I think totally. I think that um, you know, imagine if you know, like okay, imagine Carter or or Bevan or you know, some of the top ITU guys. Imagine if they had a chance of doing Kona, and I don't know. It's been, um, we, we, we do this before we talk to. Craig, Craig, don't we? Yep. But Craig brings up the point later on in the interview that, you know, imagine having those guys in the race and, you know, he thinks the guys who are the all-round triathletes who can do all three disciplines well definitely have a really good opportunity to do well in Kona. And, and I just think that for the sport, the more high-exposure names we have in Kona, it's mm. got to be better. Mm. Like, what's, what's the ITU guys with the gun at the moment? Gomez. Gomez, I always get them confused, don't I? Yeah. Um, imagine if we've got Gomez, and like, he's probably not going to do Kona because his money's in yeah. ITU, but imagine if you've got him doing Kona as well. Great. Oh, great. That'd be sensational. So I think um, definitely we need to find a different angle of getting people in, but I think we just need to look at the whole qualifying process a bit more because there's too many hoax pro athletes in Kona. Yep. You know, you can go to Ironman New Zealand and just enter as a pro and you basically qualify. Yeah, well, like, I, I had a shocker race and I could have taken yeah, a slot. likewise, and it rolls down far too fast. So I think that in order, they just need to change, tweak the pro qualifying a bit. I don't think there should really be any roll downs. And I think if you can't finish within half an hour of a winner at a race, nice. you're at, you don't have any chance. Well, so. Within a, a percentage time slot or something. And yeah. I think it's not a disgrace, but I, I don't think I should be able to qualify for Kona as a pro. And, and likewise with you, you're not pro. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and, yeah totally not. And, and we, we could easily qualify at New Zealand or, or other races. So I think it's far too easy for pros to qualify. Um, so I think they need to change that, but they definitely don't need... Well, if they're doing an Ironman race, at least, it's yeah. easy for them to... Yeah. And it shouldn't roll down, you know, because this year at New Zealand, it rolled down to the last pro game. Well, it was 16th, wasn't it? It's yeah. a pro, and it yeah, rolled past me. So I think they need to need to tighten up on that a little bit. Uh, and I think you should have, you could be able to have uh, automatic entry if you're an Olympic medalist or a world championship medalist. Yep. But you probably only get one crack at it, so you maybe get one chance to do it, and then you've got to qualify other times now. Just because your Hamish Carter is saying you don't get to enter Kona every, every year, so okay. but you get one free chance to, and to give it a crack. Should uh, you put some thought into this, I mate? Did. So I'm passionate about this topic because okay. I want to see a strong field in Kona. Okay. So then I can look at those results even okay, more. Okay, I hear you. I hear you. That's and why I, you can look at your porn. And I think they should have more pro slots for guys and girls at the 70.3 races yep. so that gives them a chance uh, and just lessen them down at iron races and that's my main points so why aren't they doing it do you think like I was just thinking before do you think that maybe because they want to keep their famous names in their own sport because you know like the two different companies or two different organisations you've got you know, WTC and ITU mm. do you think that WTC are thinking well we don't want the ITU guys to get exposure through our sport 
I think so, but I but I think that now they're doing the seventy point threes, that gives them another qualifying angle. But there's no way they're going to go and uh, give qualifying spots at the World ITU Champs. You know, saying right, the top ten people here qualify because yeah, those so not? IT, they just don't like each other. It's yeah, a, I know, but it's, it's um, a business versus a organization a, versus an organization. So I don't think that's going to happen. But yeah, I think it would be good to get more pro slots at the 70.3s, uh, and that will give guys a bit more of an opportunity. It's one of the downfalls of our sport that we have the two organisations, isn't oh, it? Oh, it's a nightmare. Because, it, you know, like, realistically, what's best for the sport? You know, it's like as a parent, what's best for your kid? You know, you always do what's best for your kid. And, um, you know, it's like, to me, what's best for our sport? Well, it's best that we get the best guys at the Olympics, mm-hmm. and the best guys at the World Champs, and mm-hmm. the best guys at Kona. And if that means we have to open a door for, you know, bickering between two organisations, it's... it's you know, I don't know. It's a, it's a li- I'm a little bit frustrated by this. A little one, bit frustrated. Wait, so you're going to go brief? A few deep breaths. <sighs> count to ten. Count to ten. You know, because you know, you're like, you look at the guys. Who, you know, like, look at Crowe. He's come through. You know, an awesome Conan. You know, imagine if we had the, the top guys here. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things somebody else made the point. Once, if you don't know, once you go to Conan, if you finish in the top ten, you automatically get a yeah. slot for the next year. So, yeah, you know, give the give the give the guys the the give famous it like a ten. Yeah, but give yeah. give the famous short course guys a, cr- a chance, yep. and give them one chance, and then if they don't, uh, you get one shot. Do not take the chance to blow. This opportunity comes once in a lot. Sorry, you like the song, don't you? Eminem. Yep, yeah. like that one. You've played it at a um, race as well, haven't you? That's right. Are you gonna have that this I, weekend? Actually, no. Uh, I was on the radio at the weekend. Um, You're a superstar. Shit, we need to shut up. Hurry up. And they did um, my eye of the tiger introducing me. Oh, I was loving it. It's t- okay, we're going to stop because we're going too long. This week's question, just quickly, we should do the question. Somebody sent this one in, and it's a really good question actually. Um, someone was looking at some in results the, from the, Chelsea man or something. The, the Chase Speaker man. Chase Speaker man. And he seemed to think he or she, I can't remember who sent this in, that a 13-year-old finished the iron distance race at the Chase Speaker man. So it's not a uh, WTC race. Should this be allowed, and um, and what do you sort of think about this topic, um, okay. what, the, what the minimum age should be okay. for racing an Ironman? We're going to finish it right now because we're going to move on. Uh, just quickly, who won this week? Um, best post this week was from Daniel because he may have even been Okay, but it's the one who said the, aloha. The first, the first person to post on the, show, on the blog, Daniel, if you send in an email, we will sort out your top from the lovely guys at artoftry.com. Beautiful. Here we go. On today's show, we're very happy. We've been promising this for um, a few weeks. We're going to have Craig Alexander on the show, the 2006 World 70.3 Champs, the 2007 runner-up at the Hawaii Ironman on debut. So um, we're very happy to have Craig on the show. Welcome along. How are you? Very very good, thanks. Thanks for having me. No worries. Uh, it's obviously been a pretty special last couple of years for you. I mean, um, and, and obviously culminating in perhaps Kona this year. How the hell was that day? I mean, just maybe just talk us through your day from start to finish. Did it did it pretty much go exactly to plan, or any mishaps along the way? Um, <clears throat> I think all in all, I had a good day. You know, I people talk about having highs and lows in the Ironman, and I, I must say I, I was pretty steady all day. I didn't really feel too bad until probably the last half hour of the race. But um, you know, I prepared prepared really well and, and, and trained very hard. You know, expecting the worst. Obviously, I've watched the race for a long time and. Um, the conditions over there are notorious for being obviously hot, humid and windy so I was expecting the very worst of all conditions and um, anything less than that was going to be sort of a benefit I guess 
and uh, <clears throat> I mean we had a we had a hot day. I don't think it was as windy as it could have been, but um, I think I was, I was pretty well prepared for whatever the island was going to throw up. And yeah, I just had a good day. You know, I, I think I'd done my homework pretty well, and, and things fell into place for me. Is is Hawaii always sort of been what you got? What got you into the sport, or is it uh, was it more so the Olympics, or, or what sort of in the early days was was this sort of the, the pinnacle for you? Um, I think in the early days, I was just happy to to do to you know to be doing triathlon, and I'd always wanted to be a professional athlete. I'd played soccer for twelve years, and um, then I had a hernia operation, and I had to take six months off sport, and just started running to lose weight. So I, I think that my first sort of point of contact with the sport was um, in '94 when Greg Welsh won in Hawaii, yeah. and it got a lot of media back home. And I pretty much started in the sport maybe twelve months after that, and. Uh, Initially, it was obviously when you start in a triathlon, you don't go straight to Ironman. Well, most people don't. Some people do, but I um, <clears throat> yeah, I just started in the shorter distance stuff. And um, at that time, as you know, there was I, I guess drafting was starting to come into the sport, and it had just been admitted into the Olympics. But um, I think it was a good time to start because a lot of races were still non-drafting, so you had to sort of hone all your skills, um, drafting and non-drafting. You had to compete in both style of races and. Also, you had to do different distances. You know, I doubled between sprint distance up to half Ironman. So um, I think it makes you a well-rounded athlete. But uh, I always wanted to do the Ironman. Yeah, and I guess a lot of people might not know a lot about those early days in triathlon. And in Australia, it was it was going off, wasn't it? You had, you had those the Grand Prix tours that probably a lot of people don't know about these days. And it was uh, were people making a reasonable living in Australia, or was it still you know you had to do a few other things on the side to to get by? You know, I think it was, it was definitely sort of the glory days of triathlon in Australia. <clears throat> you had, well, I guess in the US they had the big four of Mark, Dave, Scott, and uh, the two Scots, Scott Molina and Scott Tinley. In Australia we had the big three of uh, Greg Welsh, Miles Stewart, and Brad Bevan. And um, that was on the men's side. And obviously we had a few ladies who were doing pretty well as well. So, But we had that series, which was a nationally televised series. It had great prize money. And... Um, it certainly wasn't at the level of cricket or football, but I guess we were sort of the envy of every second-tier sport in the country because we had a, a, a huge corporate sponsor. We had nationally televised races that were on live. Um, you know, we had a pretty good series. We were, we were on a good thing there for a while, and the prize money was really good. Yeah. And obviously being on TV and, and the media coverage we were getting, the sponsorship opportunities were there as well. So, Why, why did it slip? What happened to it? <clears throat> Man, I, I, think, I think the Federation has a lot to answer for... Um, they totally wanted to go down the path of, of the Olympics, uh, which was fine. Um, but I don't think they serviced their major sponsors well, um, mm-hmm. particularly in the later years, Accenture, who were sponsoring the series towards the, the end. And I mean, I think the, the great draw of, of the Grand Prix series or, or the National Series was that it, it was a variety of different formats. You know, we had triple super sprints, we had enduro formats, a couple of Olympic distance, a couple of sprint distance, and... It was just exciting. It was formatted for telly. It was exciting. You had different formats. You know, you do a swing, bike, run, then you do a run, bike, swim, and that. No, we're just changing the formats a little bit. Yep. And it was interesting. And I think the national coach, he, he wanted to scrap all that and just have all Olympic distance two-hour races, which, you know, can be boring, particularly when they're on flat courses and, you know, the pace is not on on the bike often. Yeah. And, I mean, it's boring to watch for an hour and a half before they get to the run, so... Oh, come on, Bevan, turn that bloody phone off. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> it was um, 
I remember watching those in enduro races. They were fantastic. They used to have these things where you'd do a sprint and then you'd eliminate the slower people, then you'd do another one, and you just keep eliminating them. Really? Down. So that's me standing. Yeah, it was. It was really good TV to watch. We used to get a bit of it over here, and, um, yeah, I, I really hope um, somebody maybe takes the initiative and, and brings that back. Um, Mate, I agree 100%. I think it's there's a huge market for it in the sport. As an athlete, they were great races to do. They were unbelievably difficult, particularly the triple enduros, where they break an Olympic distance race down into three that they ran concurrently back-to-back. Yeah. And, um and they, make, they got you very fit. Like, I remember all the Australians used to come off that series and, and hit the first couple of World Cups or the first few international races and, and be in really good form. And so would the Kiwis. Like, Hamish Carter used to come across and Bevan and Chris. Yeah. And all those guys would get in great form using, using that sort of series as a springboard to, to take off into the international season. And um, so it worked on a number of levels. Obviously, you could make a living or a decent living as well as getting in great shape for, for the Northern Hemisphere summer. But... Um, they just sort of let it slip now, and unfortunately, triathlon doesn't get much coverage back here at all anymore. Hey, um, John Barry often talks about you know the time in France, and or he often talks about Bevan actually, Bevan Doherty in France, how he kind of did his work as the, the apprentice, maybe as a triathlete. And uh, you you spent two seasons in France as well. How important was that for your athletic development those early years? Yeah, I think it was very important. You know, I I was never a junior. I when I started juniors was twenty and under, and I started as a twenty two year old. So yeah. I wasn't like a lot of the other guys from Australia, like Greg Bennett and Craig Walton and McCormack, who'd come up through the junior ranks and sort of been come from single sports before that, either running or swimming. I'd come from soccer and went straight into triathlon, and um, obviously not coming through any program. I you had to you're on your own really. You had to learn off your own bat, and I think it was very important those years because <clears throat> it honed your your skills as a triathlete. As I said, even I think my first year was '97, and I'd only been doing the sport two years then. Drafting was starting to come into it. So a lot of the big races in France, the Grand Prix races, were draft legal. But still a lot of the other sort of classic races, the, the big money races, were non-drafting. So if you wanted to make a decent living, you, you had to sort of be well-rounded and, and <clears throat> be a consistent triathlete in all three disciplines, I guess, is the best way to put it. And, but it wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't uh, easy back in those days, was it? I mean, in terms of making a living, it was uh, some pretty tough times sort of getting, getting by year by year. Totally. I mean, I think, obviously, Truffles like the PGA Golf Tour. and <laughs> I mean, but, but, yeah, exactly. I remember going to France that first time. I think I was there 20 weeks, and I raced 19 times in, in the really? 20 weeks. So yeah. wow. It was a lot of racing, and some weekends you'd back up and do two two races. Um, but <clears throat> I think it, it taught you to be hungry, and it gave you that little bit of mongrel, I think, that you needed. That I mean, I was a qualified physiotherapist. I'd, I'd graduated in, in early 97, and so I had my ticket. I could, I could have worked as a physio. So in my own mind, I had to justify what I was doing. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, there was never any question. If I couldn't make it as a triathlete, I was, I was going to be going back to Australia and getting a job. So um, I don't think it was the fear of that that drove me, but that was the reality of the situation, you know. I, you didn't have Would that I? support network behind you. And, I mean, it taught you to race hard and race often. And I mean, those years were good. I, I didn't do too bad. I, I raced a lot. I guess the body took a bit of a hiding, but... <clears throat> I mean, I came home with a deposit for our first house from one of those seasons so, yeah. and I made a lot of good friends along the way. So I think it was all part of the journey and certainly I don't regret those years. They were some of the best years of my career. Have you uh, had any more practice at putting in dislocated fingers since those times? <laughs> yeah, Joey, that was, that was, I was, yeah, I was actually only thinking of that the other day. I was having a ride and um, we were riding along this bike path and there were a couple of posts sticking up and 
that took me back to that infamous day when uh, <coughs> John ran into a post. <laughs> and, um, me being the physio, I had to pop them back in. I don't know, what, what kind of job did I do? I think I did all right, didn't I? You broke his finger, didn't you? broken. <laughs> Although the next time I saw you, you were in this huge aluminium cast for about three weeks. <laughs> little, little thing, I wind my finger up so give people a birdie. Oh, it was all good days. But, I mean, another story, I mean, yeah, it was great to be over there with, with Craig and, and Bevan and see those guys develop, and it was bloody hard, you know, and I think it's a, a step a lot of guys are missing these days. To give you an example, one weekend I was always the cherry picker. I said, right, I'm going to try and find the money races where there's not going to be many people. Yeah. And one afternoon we thought, right, we're going to drive for this race, and it was about a bloody 10-hour drive across the country. We got in the van Saturday afternoon, turned up at this place at 2 o'clock in the morning, slept in the van for a couple of hours, yeah. did the race, and then drove home, and... Um, I think it was some of those experiences that really, I don't know, you might be able to elaborate, sort of hardened you guys up and, and really taught you to appreciate what you get when, when you are at the top but really understand those hard times in the early years. Mate, you hit the nail right on the head, I think. You appreciate it more. and I, I only think you get to the top if you've had those times. Like I see a lot of the young guys these days and they miss out on all that. The Federation wants to baby them and throw money at them and... I think it's an important part of your development just to develop the psychology of it and the toughness that you need. And I mean, they were fun times. Where I mean, I guess we weren't laughing at the time. I remember some of those trips you're talking about. I think one of the races was Bugilef or something like that. Was called. <laughs> remember that one? We, yeah, we drove across and um, we we got there at two or three, and then we slept for four hours, and then in the back of the van, yeah. and then raced, and then jumped in the car and drove home. So it was like 20 hours of driving. We were only there for four hours. Yeah. But um. They definitely toughen you up mentally, and it's a hard sport at, at any distance. It's a hard sport. It's a hard grind, the training, and um, I think that's an important part of your development. If if you miss that in the early years, then... So, so you do feel that the younger athletes out there are missing out on that, if, you know, if they're not really taking it? Or is that path even there for them to take now? I, I definitely think they're missing. I think it's a huge part of your development, the, just the whole mental development and the physical development, too. You've got to, you've got to race hard and often when you're younger, and you hone your craft like, like you know in any <clears throat> walk of life you've got to learn your skills properly but I think sport is as much mental as it is physical and mm. you know that, that definitely toughens you up mentally and, and just works on the psychology of it and how, and how tough the sport can be and I think you do appreciate it more now I mean obviously we start a lot of nice hotels and things these days but I never forget those days and never take it for granted it was all part of my development and, and they were necessary days and, and very good good fun days you know very, really enjoyable times so it's uh i think it's all part of the learning curve as i said in any walk of life whether it be business or sport you need to do your apprenticeship and hone your skills and and part of that in triathlon is your physical skills and your mental skills and um just i think the discipline and the mental application that's required to get to the top and i do think a lot of the times now <clears throat> with all you know obviously Triathlon's progressing. It's still only 30 years old, but we're getting to the age of sports scientists and you know, carbon fibre and ceramic bearings and, and all of this stuff, which is great. It, it's making you know everyone go faster, but I think it's still important to, to develop sort of a tough underbelly that you need. You know, you need to be resilient, you need to be tough, and you need to be able to bounce back. And um, it's all good to have sports scientists running around with heart rate monitors and everything else, but you also need to develop the psychology of you know just being resilient and, and being able to bounce back. Mm-hmm. So back in those days, you were yeah you were do, you're doing really well um, at Olympic distance races. You're dabbling, still dabbling a bit in the, in the World Cups, and, and you were actually I remember doing very well at half Ironmans. At what sort of stage did you sort of 
know, maybe decide that the Olympic dream wasn't the right thing for you and you sort of changed your focus a little bit in terms <coughs> of uh, going to non-drafting races and, and maybe focusing a bit more on the half Ironmans? Yeah, I think, I mean, I never, I guess, immersed myself in the World Cups like a lot of guys. A lot of the guys like Robbo and Maka who were trying to make the Olympics were doing seven or eight World Cups a year, every year. And I think in my whole career I only did 13 or 14, so... Um, I, I, I don't know. I just I wanted to be. I always wanted to be well rounded. So I always tried to throw in a few halves each season and a few different things. That being said, obviously the Olympics is every athlete's dream. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me the, the change in focus really came in <clears throat> well in 2000. Obviously everyone thought Greg, Brad, and Miles would go, and um, I guess that was my first real lesson in the sport that anything can happen because Greg obviously had to retire about four or five months before the trial with his heart condition. Brad got hit by a car the day before the first selection race and Miles had tonsillitis, so none of them did the selection races. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, to me that was an eye-opener. You know, you never say never in any sport or in sport or in life, really. Anything can happen. And so I sort of threw myself into it after that and I made the world team for Edmonton. I got second at Mooloolabar and, um, <clears throat> and I made the, uh, the, the squad. They had a train-on squad for the Commonwealth Games in Manchester. There were seven of us on the squad and from that seven they were going to pick three in a reserve. And I think in 2002, at the beginning of the year, I came down with a chicken pox about a week before the first selection race, which was in Canberra. And uh, I had to have 10 weeks off. Obviously, it's a pretty debilitating virus to get, especially as an adult. And um, I had 10 weeks off, so I missed both the selection races, and which meant I missed the Commonwealth Games. And they were also doubling as the selection races for the World Champs that year, so I missed Worlds and Commonwealth Games. And as the way the criteria was written, that meant I couldn't really get a World Cup start for that year either, for the whole of 2002, because I wasn't on the world's team. So I, I sort of felt like I'd been hung out to dry a little bit by the Federation. I was, I was jumping through the hoops for them to try and make the Commonwealth Games, and then I got sick um, through no fault of my own, really. And I was just sort of hung out to dry for 12 months, couldn't get a World Cup start. So that's when my focus really changed, and I thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to go to America. That's where I wanted... I sort of always wanted to head over there eventually anyway, and... As I said earlier, my first sort of port of call with triathlon was seeing Welsh win the Ironman in 94. And, you know, at that time, triathlon was getting a lot of coverage in Australia whenever he or McKeely would win Chicago or St. Croix. Those races would be in the newspaper, and I remember watching St. Croix on TV. So mm. I thought in 02, you know, I was, I was going to jump away from the World Cups and, and get over to the US, and that's what I did. So that was sort of... I wouldn't say that was the point I turned my back totally on the Olympics, but I just thought... You know, I'm a professional athlete. I was sort of in my late 20s, and I, I want to make a living. So I'm, I'm going over there, and that's what I did. Nice. Um, I remember back in the, the days in France, you were, you were largely your own athlete in terms of um, you didn't appear to have a coach uh, in the background. It, uh, did it stay that way for, for a long time? And, and, but I've recently seen you've, you've hooked up with Chris Carmichael. Has is, is that been... Um, were you coached before, and, and how has the change affected you recently? Yeah, I've, I've never had a coach until I, I teamed up with Chris, and I only teamed up with Chris in August this year. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I just felt like, you know, I'd been to university and I had a physiotherapy degree, so I'd done a year or two of physiology. And that's not to say I thought I knew everything, but I remember in the early days, um, in 97, I got called into the Australian team. They had a camp, and I went to the camp, and I was just listening to there was a whole lot of different coaches down there, and half of them I thought didn't know what they were talking about so I thought at the time you know I'm not I'm not going to you know put the blinkers on and think I know everything I'll, I'll listen to all the advice I'm given but I'm not going to take it as gospel or whatever you know just because someone's a triathlon coach and um 
you know, I was fortunate enough that I got I got to train with Welshie pretty early on, and you know, a lot of the guys Ben Bright, a lot of the guys who are you know world famous and had been winning big races, and Craig Walton, and and these were just in my early years. I got to train with those guys, and you know, I guess that was probably the best lesson because I, I saw there were no secrets. Everyone was pretty much doing a similar thing. You know, obviously there's more than one way to skin a cat, but everyone's program was pretty similar. I did a stint up on the Gold Coast and trained with Miles for a little bit, and. You know, the nuts and bolts of everyone's program was pretty similar. Yeah. So pretty early on, I, I sort of got a feel for the fact that, you know, there were no secrets. It was just you had to be consistent in your training and you had to do certain key sessions each week. And um, but that, that being said, you know, I still, well, you know, I still thought if you know, a good coach comes along, um, I, you know, I wouldn't be adverse to, to training with them. But <clears throat> I seemed to progress pretty rapidly and I was getting good results. So I just stuck with that and... Uh, but then this year in uh, August, Chris contacted me, and um, it was kind of good timing, really, too, because I was just about the first week in August. I started my specific tone of prep, so I and I felt that you know, out of all the, I guess if anything could let me down in Kona, it'd be it'd be my bike riding. I mean, I, I thought I could ride as well as anyone in the world over 40 or 90k, but I just didn't think I knew enough about how to prepare for a 112 mile time trial. And um, I'd never done it before, really. So it was, you know, it was breaking new ground for me. And I thought, you know, he'd be a good ally to have. And obviously, being Lance's old coach, I thought if anyone can you know, give me some tips and tell me what kind of training's required for that kind of a bike ride, he'd be the man. And you know, I think it was a pretty good partnership. I'd already written my program for Kona, and I said to him, you know, at the time I think it was only ten weeks out from the race. I said, you know, I don't really want to change too much. In fact, I don't, I don't want to change anything. But I'd love you to have a look at what I'm doing and give me some feedback. And, you know, to his credit, he said, well, the whole, the whole thing about me approaching you is not really for Kona this year. It's about going forward into the future. You know, there's not a lot I can do in the next month or two that's going to change anything. So um, he had a look at the program, though, and said, you know, it looked, it looked really good and made a couple of suggestions, which I implemented straight away. And uh, it made a difference. So definitely I felt I handled the ride pretty comfortably in Kona and, I think the main benefits working with Chris will be going forward definitely as I get into this this sort of pre-season and into next year. I think I'll, I'll I'll see the benefits of his expertise for sure. So on the training side of things, as an athlete, are you training more like an Olympic distance athlete, or are you actually kind of doing Ironman volume nowadays? Um, you know, it's a bit of both. I mean, last year I did. I always now that we don't have a series in Australia, I usually spend just January, February, March doing sort of laying down a good base. Because um, you know I, I sort of race a six or seven month season, so you need a pretty good base to to do that. So I um <clears throat> I normally don't do anything too specific. I just do I do a lot of mileage, not too much, but I, I do more mileage than normal in January, February, March, um, and basically just concentrate on strength and endurance, not too much speed work. And but towards March, as we get into March, I'll start doing more specific brick sessions, like running off the bike as I'm getting closer to the season. And uh, but then I, I mean I did a normal sort of season this year. I I did. I think I did twelve races, and three of them were Olympic distance, two Ironmans, and the and the rest were halves. So, I mean, from from April onwards, it was pretty much just normal training, Olympic distance training, because my main objective early in the season was lifetime fitness in Minnesota, which is an Olympic distance race. So, I just did my normal sort of training for that, and uh, <clears throat> I feel that when I'm really fit for an Olympic distance non-drafting race, that's that's when I'm in my best shape for a half as well. So, I don't think the training changes too much between those two types of races. So in a, in a normal season, I'll, I can just interchange between Olympic distance and half Ironman racing without, it, without having to change the training at all. 
And then from that, I sort of, <clears throat> I did Minnesota, then two halves in a row, Vineman, and, and then U70.3 up in Canada. Had a week off and went straight into the Ironman prep for Kona. And, you know, I, I felt that, that that short course season helped me with the Ironman preparation because I, you know, I started the preparation very fit. And even on my long rides and, and long runs, I just didn't feel slow. I had that speed in my legs from a whole season of, of working it. And I feel that was a huge asset in the training, in the training blocks, and, and also in the race itself. So I sort of think they go hand in hand. I think a bit differently to everyone else. I don't think you need... I mean, most guys like Macca are specialised in the long distance now. I mean, it was interesting because I, I went to Minnesota and Philadelphia and a few of the Olympic distance races, and I was racing Bevan, you know, and Simon Whitfield, Hunter Camper, Greg Bennett. And then I'd go to the halves and race Lessing and Luke Bell and, and Waldo. And then I'd go to the, the Ironmans and race Macker and you know, Norman and Ferris and those guys. So it was always different guys yeah. racing at, at each distance. But um, I think, you know, it, it's sort of... I don't think you really need to specialise. I think it, the Olympic distance side of things, provided you can schedule a season well and then not have to overlap and not take too many... You know, not take any shortcuts when it comes time to actually doing the mileage for the Ironman. I think the short course and, you know, the benefits you get with your VO2 max and just the top-end speed actually helps with the preparation for Ironman and with the race itself. So, I, um, I guess it also helps the bank balance as well because the reality is if you're trying to do, um, you know, just do Ironmans, it's, you know, you've only got two or three cracks a year and if you don't win all three you know, or, or place very high, it is hard to make a living, isn't it, out of just being an iron distance athlete unless you're someone like Macca. I agree. I agree 100%. I, think, I mean, even Mackie, look, I mean, it's taken him seven years to win in Kona. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you can win Port Macquarie as many times as you want, you're going to get $7,000, yeah. you know. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there's Olympic distance races in America that have twice that. Yeah. So, um, I think I think if you're trying to make a living in Ironman racing, I mean, you've got to get sponsorship. Otherwise, the race you need to win. But, I mean, that being said, I, yeah, and that harks back, I think, to the days in France. It just it taught you to be professional back in those days you had to race and I mean obviously I don't only race 10 or 12 times a year now but I think that all comes from that mentality that I got back then as being a professional athlete like you say you've got to race to make a living and also you know I want my sponsors to get value as well I don't want to get you know I don't want to disappear for six months and um you know I want to be visible all the time and and that's why I always I always chase the big races like Minnesota or St. Croix or Kona they're the races that I try and stack the schedule with they're the ones that get all the media coverage, and I think they're the ones that are most valuable to the sponsors. And obviously, if they're the bigger races, they're going to have the biggest prize purses as well. So, um, but yeah. Do you think um, now that you've you know you're amazing Kona race first time up, like phenomenal? Do you think now Kona kind of comes your priority for the next few years? Well, no doubt, it's the race I want to win the most now. I mean, I've been very lucky in my career. I've, been blessed really the last five years six years in the u.s i've pretty much won everything that i've wanted to win i've won a lifetime and had a couple of podiums there. i've won chicago a couple of times won St. Croix two or three times won the world half ironman champ so you know I've, as i said i've been really lucky had a very good career there and kona's i think it's the tour de france of, of triathlon and <clears throat> obviously that was as i mentioned before the race that started me on this path seeing welshie win and um it's definitely a race i'd love to win at some stage, and yeah. it'll it'll be my main race for the next, for the rest of my career for sure. I mean, I'd never even been there to watch the race before this year. So, oh, really, wow. yeah, I was am- I was amazed at the hype and the media and the atmosphere, and it was um it was an amazing week the whole week leading up to it. And, it'll, be, it'll be interesting going back next year because there probably wasn't much pressure on you this year, but next year. Uh, well, you know what? Yeah, I guess there's always pressure though because I mean I think this year 
half. I didn't read all the pre-race predictions, and but you know, obviously you hear about them, and a lot of people picked me to win, and the other half picked me not even to finish. So I guess there's the pressure from the half who think you're going to win. You don't want to let them down, and yeah. then there's the pressure to prove the other people wrong. So, and also, I mean, the pressure from yourself. I I knew what I thought I was capable of, and and what I expected, and. I mean, I've, I've raced Macker a lot, and I raced him twice this year, early in the year, and beat him both times. I beat him by nearly four, over five minutes in St. Croix, which is a pretty tough half man racing similar conditions to what Kona's running. And, I mean, he finished second in Kona last year, so I thought, even though I know a half's a lot different to an Ironman, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm in the ballpark if I can just get my preparation right. So I had that pressure on myself thinking, you know, the onus is on me not to stuff it up and, and to try and prepare properly. And, and I think I did my homework pretty well, you know, I pretty good mates with Welshy, so I, I rung him a lot and I spoke to Dave Scott a lot. I was up in Boulder and I'd see him at the pool nearly every day, so I was firing questions at him and, you know, they were all really generous with their time and helped me out a lot and uh, I, I think the main pressure I felt was from myself, really, because I, I felt that, <clears throat> I mean, you never know with that race. Obviously, history's shown that. I mean, I think only four or five people, I think only four people, including myself, now finished on the podium in their debut. Yeah. I think Luke's the, only, Luke's the only one who's won it, so... And, you know, history shows that even the great ones, like, I mean, Paula was about to win her seventh time there and she collapsed 400 metres from the finish. So mm. if someone who's won it six times, if it can still be baffling them, then it can certainly baffle a rookie. So, so how, you know, I was... How were you pacing sorry. yourself out there on the day? Were you just sort of working off other people or were you really just doing your thing on, on the bike and, and obviously on the run as well? Were you doing your thing or were you looking at the others? Well, I think... It's a bit of both, you know. Obviously, you've done an Ironman, so you know you've got to concentrate on yourself to make sure you're getting the fuel in and you're drinking enough, and so you've got to sort of be on top of that. But I was taking that in my competition, and I mean, I've raced all those guys countless times, so I know all their strengths and weaknesses. And I mean, I just devised the game plan before before the race. And um, that being said, I had a few backup plans as well. You know, I was pretty much prepared for anything. But uh, I think my plan was I felt that I was the best runner there, so I, I thought if I was going to have a good race or a competitive race, I was going to do it in the run. Yeah. Um, that being said, I got into probably the best bike shape of my life as well. And it was actually interesting because for the first time in my career, I had an SRM on, and that was at Chris's, um, Chris instigated that. He got me to put an SRM on, so I trained with an SRM the last eight weeks and did all the threshold testing and, and whatever at his, at his office. And so the whole ride I was watching, and I was well below the watts. I, was, I think I averaged 285 watts for the whole ride, and... Um, that was a, you know fairly well below what I'm capable of doing. So the whole ride, that was giving me confidence knowing that I, firstly that I was riding with most of the contenders pretty comfortably and secondly that I was doing it so well below threshold that I'd have a lot left in the yep. tank for the run. So mm. the further the race progressed, the more confidence I got from that. And, um, yeah, I mean, my, my plan was... I, I was watching the other guys and, <clears throat> interestingly, I, was, I think I was the only guy... I was the only pro guy in the race who didn't wear an aero helmet... <laughs> So I just wore a normal helmet. I thought it'd be important to keep my core potty temperature pretty low and, and, you know, the cooling effect of just pouring the water on my head. And, um, yeah, so I was, I was definitely watching the other guys, particularly in our group. We had a couple of guys off the front. Liado and Simbali were off the front. And then that front group I was in after the swim was about 25. But I think by the time we got off the bike, there was only seven or eight of us left. And, um, yeah, I was, I was keeping an eye on everyone else, seeing who looked good, who looked hot, and uh, but essentially my, my plan was, was what it was, and um, it sort of went to plan, the race went to plan, I thought I'd be able to ride comfortably with that group, and then see what, what happened in the in the run, and um, obviously the run was where it was going to be won or lost, and 
I mean, that was definitely a huge learning experience for me because I'd never run a hard marathon. I'd okay. only done one Ironman, which was early early in the year, and I'd never really run a marathon hard. So, so okay, tough question. You were, you were um, on Mecca's toes pretty much the whole run. Did it break your heart when you kind of knew he wasn't you weren't going to get him at the end, or were you still just kind of thinking, "Bugger, I've made you know this is an amazing race." Um, a bit of both, I think. When you're so used to winning, it does break your heart. That being said, second's still a great result. I think yeah, yeah. I've never judged my races by where I finished. If I got to the end and thought, well, I did everything I could and someone was just better on the day, well, so be it. Yeah. The races that bugged me, the ones, even if I won them, where I thought I didn't race as well as I could have, or um, so that's how I've always judged it. It's funny because it's so emotional, you know, in the race, it's such a big race, and there's kind of that relief to have it over and done with too. So I think what bugged me in hindsight was just I second-guessed myself a, a few times through the marathon I think Chris knew his only chance to beat me was to, to get out front and he's a good front runner he, he races on confidence and I mean that was probably the first time he's beat me in five or six years and you know some would argue that's, that's the only one worth worth winning and it probably is so but every time we've run shoulder to shoulder I've, I've been able to get on get the best of him in the run and I think his plan was to have a quick transition and get out and that's what he did and he had 20 odd seconds on me 25 seconds out of transition and yeah. That, that straight away put the doubt in my mind. I think he knew being being a rookie and being there my first time, I'd have those doubts of how to run the marathon, and, and I did. And uh, I think he he knew that, and, and to his credit, he played on that. And, and he had a great day, too. I mean, he ran a 2.42 marathon. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but I think he did sort of bluff me a little bit, because when we got to the finish, I think he was in a fair worse state than I was. So <laughs> that being said, I, I didn't know how many bickies I could spend and get to the finish. Yeah. So there was always it's in the back rookie, of my mind, yeah. yeah, I had to be a little conservative because I did not want to finish. I didn't want to get to 35K and, and you know, pass out. So, <laughs> and, and just with regards to the relationship with Mecca, I know that when we were the first year I was over in France, you know, Mecca came to town shortly after I got there and there was some fairly serious training going on, but you were obviously very good mates with him back then. Um, I mean, has that changed now that you are sort of fairly, not bitter rivals, but you're, you know, you, Competitors. you're going one-two in Kona. Has it changed much since then? Uh, it's definitely changed. I think, you know, I mean, back in those days, in 98, I'd only been in the sport a handful of years, and he'd been doing it. We'd come through the junior ranks, and um, I think he represented Australia at the World Juniors one year, and so he was pretty much already well established by then and um, I was coming up through the ranks obviously as I got better and then as I started beating him things changed you know mm-hmm. but um, I think there's a, a mutual respect there bet- between the two of us um, I wouldn't say we're the best of mates but I mean obviously things are going to change he's trying to win that race and he's been trying to win it for the best part of a decade now and um, I think he was genuinely happy for me after the race I think he was just happy that he'd won and I think he was happy for me that I'd had a good race on debut so um, things will probably change next year, I guess. Uh, he'll probably see me as one of his main obstacles. Yeah, totally. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure he saw me as that this year. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, obviously, we are rivals now. and We're certainly not, to answer your question, we're, we're not the friends we used to be, definitely. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, things change. You get older and you yeah. have families. and, and yeah, Life experiences, eh? Yeah. Mm. And so just in terms of the coverage you guys got back in Australia, obviously one, two, and the, and the guys, did it, did it register much on the radar and the, the, the major media? I think it did. I, I was getting a few emails from back home um, from people who said they saw it on the, the national news at night and also on the morning shows pretty much throughout that week. They were talking about it, and I think it made most of the ma- major newspapers and it was on the radio and stuff. So I think it did crack into the sort of the major public consciousness for a little while but um, I think the thing with our sport is yeah, we've got to continually try to do that if we want to you know, 
sort of break back into the mainstream. Um, I, I think that race has always got some coverage, particularly because Welsh won it in 94, so, I mean, Australians are aware of it. Yep. And as they're aware of the Olympics now, too, because, I mean, obviously the first Olympic triathlon was in Sydney, so... Um, <clears throat> It's kind of funny, though, when you think, I mean, you think of that day in Sydney, what a great day it was, and I guess a good advertisement for the, for the sport. If anything was going to kickstart the sport in Australia, you would have thought that, that would be it. Yep. And uh, I guess it's sad now to, to, you know, be seven years down the track from that and not have a national series anymore. But, I mean, some of the big races still get ma- major media, and, and Hawaii's one of those. So, I mean, it was good in that regard. So what do you, what do you think the sport needs to do? I think it needs to get new administration in Australia to start oh, with. Nice. <laughs> um, not wanting to be too controversial, but I mean, Johnny knows I'm going to speak my mind. I always do, but I just think it's, it's all well and good to, to groom people for, to win gold medals. Um, but I think at the end of the day, you have, if you're running the sport, you, you have a duty to all the, you know, to future generations coming through and have sort of programs in place to help the young kids who might be going to this Olympics but might be going to the next one or the one after that. Yep. You know, it's, it's all well and good it's to have insight. to be a high performance manager and have a contract through to the end of 08, but what happens after that? Mm-hmm. You know, what what happens after that when, you know, someone you know, these people move on to greener pastures and, you know, everyone else is left holding the bag. So I just think you know, and and to be honest, the medals that we've won at the Olympics, um the two silvers we got with the girls, they didn't really come through. They had nothing to do with the national coach or the program anyway. They, McKeely obviously lives in San Diego and her husband coaches her and she's always marched to her own beat anyway. So she just came in and won the silver and it was the same with Loretta. She didn't really come through the program either. She trained with Siri Lindley in Boulder and um, so all the results that we've we've had pretty much at the major championships and I, I guess it's the same with Emma Snowsall. She She's in Boulder now. Obviously Craig's her partner and her coach and he coaches her and they don't have a lot to do with the, the national system. So, you know, I think being in Boulder and hanging out with Bevan and also Hamish before he retired, Hamish was in Boulder um, last year. I think you guys have got it dialed in over there. You know, Stephen, I don't know too much and I don't want to say too much and ruffle any feathers, but he seemed to have the system. Stephen Farrell came over and he just basically checked on the boys and made sure they were all right and he didn't, you know, he knew, you know they're not high school kids anymore. You know, they're guys in their late 20s and 30s who've, who've got to the top doing what they do best and knowing how to prepare themselves. So I think he just gave them free reign to do that, but, you know, just popped over to see if they needed anything and then let them go on their merry way. Um, whereas I think the Australian model is just to try and control everyone. You know, you've got to come into camp, you've got to do this, you've got to come to Europe for eight weeks a year, you can't bring your family, and that's going to scare a lot of people off because, um, as I said, we're not 20 anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone has wives and kids and... Yeah. Um, I think at the end of the day, the only thing is, if, if you're the national coach or whatever, your only MO is to get the best guys there. That's it. Yeah. By whatever means. You just want the best people on the start line. So um, I think people tend to complicate things that are pretty simple, really. But anyway, that's my opinion. Nice. We well, like it. I don't think we're, we're 100% on track in New Zealand, but we're certainly doing some good things, which is always nice. Hey, yeah. We just wanted to get some, some tips whether you might have any in terms of, because it was your first time. Because you are the legendary first-timer. <laughs> first-timer extraordinaire. <laughs> for just for, for any athletes that might be going to Kona, any sort of things that perhaps you didn't get told about that you think, oh, I wish I'd known that in terms of the, perhaps the course or the conditions, any, any sort of real insightful tips you might have? Well, I think just... I mean, it's known for the brutal conditions. Just mentally be prepared for for very a lot of wind and, and you know a large amount of heat and humidity. And then anything less than that will be a bonus. So, 
Um, that being said, I think the last three years have been pretty good. I, speaking to a couple of the boys in the drug test afterwards, they said this year was hotter than the last couple of years and a little bit windier, but certainly not as windy as it can get there. So I think you just need to be mentally prepared for, for tough conditions and then anything less than that, you know, will be will be a bonus for you. And I think the last week, just, it's, it, there's a lot of hype and it's an amazing atmosphere. I just, you've got to stay off your feet as much as possible, I think, and just... just um, try and build up your energy reserves because it's, it's a tough day. It's a tough day. Um, and I think just do your homework too. I mean, I'm no expert. Obviously, I've only done one really, but I think you've got to get your nutrition dialed in, particularly in those conditions. Your, your body has different requirements in the heat and humidity than it might have in, say, even a, a dry heat or a dry climate. So I think just uh, ask around and get as much advice as you can and, um, and then just test your plan. You've got to test your nutrition in training in a brick session. So sort of a simulated race session, and that's the best advice I can give. There you go. Tips from the Premier first-timer. Hey, one other question I had there that you just mentioned um, about drug testing. How often would you typically get drug tested in a year? It varies. It's, it's always you know, quite a few um, occasions. I think this year I've been tested probably eight or nine times. Okay, I remember there was, one, there was one stint in Australia there where I think I did. I was back home for six months so I was back home for about 24 25 weeks I think I got tested 18 times so oh. I got tested three times in eight days once I won <laughs> I won the Australian sprint chance I got a, I had a blood and urine test on the Sunday at the, uh, straight after the race and then I got called in the next day for an out of competition <laughs> so I, I had to give um, urine the next day and then the following weekend I won the Australian long course champ so I got blood and urine again um, yeah so they were pretty strict you know they're, they're pretty diligent in Australia they turn up at your house or at your training and it varies obviously I think it goes in waves they, they pick a sport and then they hammer that sport for a few months and um, but uh, even in the US you know I get at all the major races they have testing and <clears throat> I got a couple of out of competition tests as well they turned up in Boulder at our apartment at 6 o'clock which was nice one morning and, um, <laughs> Yeah. So, um, it's funny how they do that because it's not like if they wait till eight, there's going to be any difference. <laughs> yeah, well, I know that's what you think. Hey, um, as an athlete, you know you're, you're pretty experienced and all the rest of it. What do you see as your own personal strengths as an athlete? Um, you know, if, if you were to, you know, someone write a book about you, what would be the things that you think they'd have to really? Use? I think I'm I'm pretty well rounded in all the three disciplines. You know, to win the big races, you can't really have any weaknesses. I think you've got to be. You've got to be good in all disciplines. And um, I think you've got to have a major strength you need as an athlete is you've got to have a good support network behind you. you know, I'm fortunate to have my wife and my baby daughter, Lucy's two and a half, and they travel with me everywhere. So, yep. you know, whilst triathlon is an individual sport, you're kidding yourself if you think, you, you know, it doesn't matter if you're trying to win races or just trying to finish them, you know, as you guys can probably attest, you know, you need that support behind you mm-hmm. just to get to the start line in one piece. So... I think that's important, and I think a mental strength as well, which comes from, I guess, your development as, as you're growing up in the sport. I think that's that would be one of my strengths. I think I've, I think I, you know, I'm, I'm just mentally, I, I always give a good account of myself in every race. You know, I never, I always, I always sort of race to whatever level of form I'm in, and um, I never sell myself short that way. So I think, just uh, I'm fairly mentally tough, but I think that comes with how you developed in the sport, and as we mentioned, that was. My development was coming up racing a lot and, and racing better guys and older guys, and I think that's an important part of any young athlete's development. Nice. 
Hey, and obviously we want to make sure we give some exposure for your wonderful sponsors. So maybe just tell us about your sponsors and, and whether you've got any exciting plans with any of them at the moment. Yeah, well, my sponsors have been really good. I've been, I've been with Orca for six or seven years now, and um, I'll probably be with them for the rest of my career. They're, they're a very good company and one that I've really enjoyed working with. They're good shots of you. You do always look. You're, you're, you're fashion, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, who else have I got? I've got Orbea Bikes. been with them for a few years now. Um, signed a couple of good, good deals since Kona, American Interbank, who are a mortgage-broking nice. firm in, in the U.S., just signed on with Newton Running Shoes. You guys have probably heard of them. They're a new yeah, yeah, running yeah. shoe and um, pretty innovative. Danny Abshire is a podiatrist to sort of develop this shoe. And uh, I'm pretty cynical when it comes to all that uh, performance-related equipment. And um, I love those shoes, though. I ran in them from, from the very first run I had in them there. Just, uh, they're an amazing shoe. They're very light. Even the training shoe is very light. But they, I don't know what the material is they use in the sole, but they seem to afford more shock absorption than even a heavier shoe. So... Yeah. Newton are a, a, shoe, a company I'm with now. Nice. Um, try buys online. Nice. Store, try who buys. I think we love try yeah. buys. Yeah, yeah they're, they're a great, they're a great bunch of guys, and um, love the sport of truffle. And they're re- really motivated guys. So they're, you, they're. You're writing a bit of a, you're writing the odd article up on the site, and a bit of an update every now and then on trybuys.com. I've written one. I think yeah. I, I should, I should get to work. I promised the boys <laughs> more than that, but. Um, I wrote, I wrote one. It's pretty long, though. He'll take it. Take the readers a while to get through. So <laughs> and I'll work on it. Exclusive to them, aren't they? Yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll get onto that. I promised him I'd write at least one every fortnight. So, I'll, um, I'm half the case. I tell you. Yeah. Well, I'm halfway through my second one now. So if you speak to him, tell him it's on the way. It's in the mail. You'll <laughs> be listening to this, mate. Yeah, you know that. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else um, you've got on board there? Yeah, I, I ride zip zip wheels nice. um, profile. Handlebars. Oh, let me see. I don't want to forget anyone. Oakley, of course. Nice fashion. Um, let me see. Who else have we got? Who else have we got? I think I've covered the main ones. American Interbank and Newton are the two new major sponsors. Oakley as well. I've just signed on with them. So cool. all great companies and they support me. So uh, I love them. Can't thank them enough. Love them. Good. Well, um, thanks so much for spending so much time with us today. We're going to ask for that. Oh, yeah, the plans for 08 is, is pretty similar this year and, and sort of Kona and, and similar race structure? Yeah, I think I'll pretty much follow a similar blueprint. You know, I'll um, have a full short course season and, and try and squeeze as many halves in as I can. And uh, I always like to do, I mean, St. Croix has been a staple of mine. I, I love that race, St. Croix, and I always do St. Anthony's. And um, I did Vineman this year, which is a great race. I'll go back and do that. Uh, but yeah, Kona will be the main focus. I think oh, I'll do Lifetime as well in July. But um, Kona's, I think, the oh. the one I want, I want to win. So it'll, I guess the whole season will be geared around that one. Craig, when uh, when John has a question, he puts his hand up next to me, and uh, he just put his hand up. So I think he has a question for you. One more question. <laughs> one of the topics we've got on the show this week is um, whether there should be an easier, not an easier way, but a way to get other pros into Kona. You know, someone yeah. like Greg Bennett or Bevan Doherty or Hamish Carter. Do you think there should be any other angle guys can get in there other than doing Ironman races, which they have to do at the moment? Uh, yeah, I think there should. I mean, I got in by winning Clearwater, which was a half. Um, but uh, that being said, I guess you've got to win a world title to get into another one, so that's pretty tough. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's the only. I think that's the only non-Ironman event by which pros can can qualify. But I, I think I think so. I think. I mean, back in the day. 
certainly when I first started in the sport I used to read, I don't even think Chicago had slots for the pros right. um, and Olympic distance races. I know St. Croix definitely did. And I mean, yeah, I, I think that they should be. I mean, I think it would mix it up a bit. And I mean, not every short course guy is going to be suited to it, but I think certainly guys like Bevan and, I mean, Hamish would have. I mean, all the guys who are good all-round athletes would definitely would definitely do well there. There's no question. I think they would, and I think that would add, add to the race. So... Um, I'd be all for it. So yeah, I, I think they. I think they should. I'm not sure what, why they changed that rule and, and what the argument is for that. But I think they, there certainly should be concessions for the pros. You know, as you said, they're trying to make a living. So mm. that obviously means having to race a bit more. And and when you're doing that, that's going to eat into, um, you know, doing another. If you wanted to do another Ironman in a year, that'd eat into your schedule. Mm. Obviously, with the, the, the preparation and then the recovery from that. So uh, I think singing if, off if, the same song sheet. Oh, that's good, mate. That's a good yeah. metaphor. Should be writing songs, mate. I should be. You're a profession. Fuck yeah. this coaching business. Anyway, yeah, thanks heaps for spending yeah, so much mate. time awesome. with us today. And, um, Love your honesty. Next year, we'll be looking forward to doing an interview sometime after the race with the 2008 world champion. Bring it on. And, um, no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> and uh, have a good summer, and we'll um, yeah, hopefully catch up with you some stage next year. Yeah, oh, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. It was good to chat. Good. Cheers, cool. mate. So uh, thanks, Craig, for that. Um, Monster show. Monster sp- <laughs> It's a massive show. But it's a good, it was a good transition, really, to Tribuys, because we're going to go to Tribuys' website, and it's... Oh, look, look who that is. Craig Alexander. Goes uh, see, he is dis- a hot model, isn't he? Goes to distance with Tribuys.com. Oh, uh, get your running gear here. But it's an exciting time on Tribuys, isn't it, Jombo? What, what, if you're ever going into a shop or going into a website, what's the first sign you want to see? In that sale! Sale! And Tribuys have that on their site. And I've got a link to their sale page, and they are delivering... <laughs> Big time, good chore, yeah. Try buys winter holiday sale. So you basically click on the button on their homepage and that'll take you through to a page that's got a few specials on it, but don't be deceived by that. Don't be deceived by that. Because there are specials on there that are bloody good deals, but if you notice along the top of the page, they'll have specials on swim, bike, and run. Yep. Uh, so you can pretty much get a really good deal on, on everything. There are some wicked specials, you know, on wetsuits is like 100 120 bucks off wetsuits and stuff like that. So just remember that US dollar is piss poor pathetic. Uh, well, that, that one there was 500, now 330. Exactly. That's nice. actually really cheap, isn't it? It is. Because that's, that's like a mean now sweatsuit, isn't it? So you guys that are either um, getting into your season in New Zealand or Australia can get some fantastic deals. Well, in America, man. Get on yeah. there, man. Get on there. And, and you know what? We talked about the other week, but leave this website as your homepage. Make this website your homepage. <laughs> and the Christmas special page so that when your wife goes on there or your husband oh, goes on yeah. there... Bargain. Bargain. And just maybe even just like make the PDF your background yep. on your computer. Nice. Tribos.com. So you've got... Yeah, remember, it's not just when you click on that page, it brings up the swim specials. But if you click along the top with the bike run, off-road and tri-gear, the specials across the board. And we also love them because they're supporting Craig Alexander. Exactly. Who we love. John loves because he roomed with him. Did you room with him? Uh, once or twice, probably. I've shared the van with him. The van. Oh, man, we had some funny times. Anyway. You know, let's not go there. <laughs> um, we, did, we, we, we kind of stuffed up last week, didn't we? Well, we didn't stuff up. Well, I was a bit we, did. we did. We got a bit excited. The special, the IM Talk special, which is a bloody good special. What is it? 20... <laughs> the big focus. special. Put in the code I am talk. I am talk. Um, but it doesn't actually count on the holiday gift tins because they basically they've got no margin in them. Yeah, exactly. So, so they're, they're a promo item. Yep. Everything else at Coffees of Hawaii is discount put in the discount code imtalk.com. Doesn't mean you shouldn't buy the holiday gift tins because it's still bloody cheap. And it's a great gift idea. You know what? Look at that. Island style. You started shopping? 
I've got to make a list. It's one of my jobs today. I'm making it twice? a list. Going to find out who's naughty and nice. Yeah, I am. <laughs> so, uh, yep. So you go on there. You can use. Oh, oh add the personalized card. I'll even make a personalized gift card for you. A message to the tin. Oh, nice. That is beautiful. Coffeesofhawaii.com for all your coffee needs. Here's an ad. Gift tins. Here's an ad. We've got discounts. Ad. Here's an ad. Here we go. Right now. I better put this bit of a pause. Here's the ad right now. <sighs> gift time. What to give? Gotta be something Hawaii authentic from the Aina. Here it is. Coffees of Hawaii is offering its Molokai Estate gift tin. Three half-pound bags of great coffee package in a handsome metal box. <laughs> I like the box. This Molokai coffee is 100% grown and processed at the Coffees of Hawaii Plantation in Kuala Pool, where they roast the same day they ship. Go to coffeesofhawaii.com where you can mix and match the new Kono Nightingale Bean or the Island Style Blends. Coffee captures the essence of its soul and weather. That's why at Coffees of Hawaii, we say, Sip the Aina. Essentials Hawaii. Coffeesofhawaii.com Athlinks.com There we go, selling my thunder. One of the things we love about Athlinks is you can configure your rivals. It's yep. what um, we talked about with Craig. He's now, him and Chris McCormick are big-time rivals. That's right. They'll so be on Athlinks, big when, rivals. When you go and sign up on there, uh, the rivals system will sort of automatically kick into, into play. So um, the question is, how are rivals chosen and how do I add a rival? Rivals are chosen by our servers by finding each athlete against whom you have raced a minimum of three times. Yep, nice. You can set your rival. Can I set criteria for a rival? Yes, you can set the criteria for which a rival was chosen. To do so, form your rivals page. Click on Set Rivals Filling Filter uh, link, and on the filling workshop, you can set your age group, genders, and so on. You can also choose which races are important and add A, B, and Cs. Nice. That's very clever of them, isn't it? Because some of you guys in the States that may race quite regularly in running races, you'll end up with lots of Yeah, because of for me, you've actually beat me in two of our three, but my A race was the one I beat you in. <laughs> You're going to change the round. <laughs> Ash beat in half. Oh, oh, that was my, my lifetime race. <laughs> uh, how do, go, go, you ask the question. The final one was, how do I choose which rivals show up on my home homepage? To choose which rivals will appear on your home profile homepage, Go to my rivals link on your toolbar. From there, use the home order pull down next to the athletes in question. Set the value that you want to click, and then save button. And you can only have your the the it's limited to nine rivals. Nice. No, so those are your key mates who you really just want to, and the one who always beats you just don't put them on it. Beautiful. Exactly. Eliminate them. Athletes.com. So our sponsors are trybuys.com for all your Christmas shopping needs. Coffeesofhawaii.com for. Other stuff as well. No, I've got to do better than that. Also Christmas. Oh, yeah. And the 20% discount. Exactly. And athlinks.com. Athlinks.com because you can go show off all your mates. Exactly. And you can manipulate it to make it look like you beat everyone. And I just noticed up there, uh, any Christchurch people, I've actually submitted a couple of the races in Christchurch. Um, I'm slowly going through that. And there's also, I noticed up there the other day, somebody in Auckland had put up the... 
Harbour Crossing. So if anybody did the Harbour Crossing in Auckland, that, nice. that result Good is times. up there. Good times. So uh, just quickly, uh, what are you up to for the rest of the week, Jombo? What am I up to for the rest of this week? We've got John's Triple T coming up this weekend. Triple T. It's changed from the Quad T to the Triple T. Triple T. I'm doing the One T. Yeah, Bevan's <laughs> going to just not do Saturday and then come and smoke us all on Sunday. I'm doing the half. I, I'm busy Saturday and yeah. So we'll do a, training. We'll do a bit of a report on that next week in terms of what that's going to. What entail. else have we been doing quickly? Last weekend, I had the Striding On Clinic. Oh, had that go? Flew Alley down from Wellington. It was very good. Highly recommend anybody to check that one out if there's any clinics up in the North Island. If you live in the North Island, and I'll you, maybe, you thought it was so good, you're going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. Try to line one up in April. So I'll maybe talk about that a little bit more next week when we've got a bit more time. Okay. Um, but uh, no, we've got our camp coming up in June. So yep. there'll be a link on our yep. website. Yep. We'll name that camp shortly. Okay, we'll name that camp next week. Name that camp next week. It's pretty obvious what it's going to be, isn't it? That is pretty obvious. (laughs) But uh, we want some of you pommies to sign up for that, and we'll see you over there. Yep. And uh, bike jerseys. Bike jerseys. We must have nearly 10 ready. Yep. So if anybody wants to bike jerseys, flick us an email. We're going to get an order put in. Ironmantalk.com for any questions. Yeah, what are you up to? Oh, you've got your thing. uh, Just a quick story. I've got to do it really quickly. Doing this 10K race at the wedding. Running race? Yeah, he did this 10K race with about 10 of us in the morning. He had a little trophy net. Yeah. Course was a bit Mickey Mouse. So yeah. he gets up, he's got this map, and he goes, Okay, you've got to go here, you go here. So I won. Yeah. But the thing was, I went off course, and I was, there was one stage I was like two minutes in front, got totally lost, come towards the finish, see people in front of me. So I sprint them down, managed to win it, disqualified me. <laughs> off the course. Off the course. Did you not enter the course exactly where you left the course? No, I. Disqualification. Should I have been disqualified? Well, you should know. It's the athlete's responsibility to know the course. No, John. Yes, no. it is. <laughs> if you do extra, you should get bonus winning points. You should get more more, more money. So I was just kind of. It wasn't. Going to put that result up on athletics. No, because oh, they race didn't count actually. It wasn't even a race. We were just mucking around. Oh, <laughs> There's dear. no importance in that race. <laughs> had a good time in Australia. Had a wedding. Love Australia. Go to Australia. They had lots of flies though. No, 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 it wasn't. Oh, God, there's flies in Australia. I can't handle it. No, it wasn't too bad, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Duncan, Sam I am. I did a speech. Mm. Yeah. So, Slam I am, if you want to email through the actual proper results. No, don't Slam I am. He'll be loving it because he, cause he's a rules man. He loves the rules. It broke my heart. Because I didn't even realise it. He goes, there'll be controversy. Like, what do you mean? He goes, well, you didn't stand the course. I'm like, what? Goes, I'm like, come on, mate. This is just a, us and the boys. Serious business. Tell you what, mate. That boy better have got some loving on Sunday night. So uh, all, the, all the show notes will be up on the website. This may be our longest show ever. So we better go. Okay. Iron rusts. I mean, no. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha. Oh, whoops. I can't stop that.